In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, you may be seated. In today's scriptures, we are climbing the mountain with Moses and Jesus to meet with God and see his glory. In the case of Moses, we know what mountain we are climbing. It is Sinai, upon which the glory of Yahweh settled with clouds concealing it. Moses' objective was to receive the commandments upon which all other laws depend. The text reports from the plain below, the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. In another passage, we learn that the glory of the Lord penetrated Moses such that his face shone with the glory of God so that the people in the camp asked him to cover his face. Paul comments on this event in his letter to the Corinthians. If the ministry of condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry of righteousness? Indeed, what was once glorious has no glory now in comparison with the glory that surpasses it. It is the ministry of righteousness and its surpassing glory with which we are concerned as we climb the unnamed mountain with Jesus. Some guess that it was Tabor. Some guess Hermon. The gospel writers do not tell us. Its namelessness opens to us, his disciples of late appearance, the opportunity to climb with Jesus whatever mountain we are facing. We can be assured that he will not cover his shining face, but give us the eyes to bear the beams of love that stream from it. Let's look more closely at the incident as reported by Matthew. For context, we see that just previous to the transfiguration, Peter makes this response to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. For this, Jesus commends Peter, saying the Father has revealed this to him. And then Jesus gives him the keys of the kingdom and the authority to bind and to loose. After those events, Jesus seems to consider the disciples ready to hear the impossible. It is then that he gives them a preview of the unfolding role of the Messiah. He will go to Jerusalem to suffer and be killed and rise again. To this, the recently commended Peter says, No way, Lord! To which Jesus answers with an uncharacteristically stern response. He calls Peter Satan and launches into telling his followers, past, present, and future, that they too must suffer. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Can we assume that it is still Satan that tries to keep us from accepting that truth? 
Then comes one of Jesus' most alluring, beautiful, and mind-jarring pronouncements addressed to everyone in his hearing. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Such a statement could truthfully be said to this gathering of people. May God give us eyes to see and ears to hear. From here we go with Peter, Jesus, Peter, James, and John up the unnamed mountain. We are amazed to see Jesus conversing with two of the great mountain climbers and glory seekers of the past, thought to be long dead, Moses and Elijah. These two miracle workers had played their part in preparing the way for the Messiah, and now they were standing with him in, con in conversation. Seeing the three of them shining with heavenly glory before our eyes, we are amazed. In their joy, their bodies become like the filaments of light bulbs, and their clothes like the glass that encases them. We are reminded of Jesus' comment to the Sadducees. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. These dramatic and breathtaking events, events cause us to fall to the ground, overwhelmed at the sight of Jesus revealed in his heavenly glory. Now it is the Father's turn to speak. This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. So now, listening carefully, we hear Jesus talking to his Father. I have given them the glory you gave me he says, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. We notice that he is not asking the Father to give us glory. He is just stating the fact that he has already given it to us, the same glory the Father gave to him. Climbing the mountain, then, must be all about awareness, it's about discovering the glory of Jesus so that we know what he has given us. But the mountain looks steep. It is often covered with dark clouds. It means entering a wilderness in which we could feel lost and alone. If we decide to trust Jesus and accept his invitation to join him, we can be assured that the way will at times be rough. I think it's safe to say that taking the risk that trust demands is the only way to know the glory that comes with oneness with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We even rejoice in our sufferings because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This brings us to the passionate Paul the words of passionate Paul that we heard this morning. From the bottom of his heart, he cries, I want to know Christ. When we take the risk to go mountain climbing with Jesus, we join Paul in the realization that nothing on earth satisfies until we give it up 
to discover the glory Jesus has given us. Paul says, I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing excellence of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. But Paul is very clear about what this means. Knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection includes joining him in the strange fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to him in his death. He seem, we, it seems we get a choice, suffering with Christ, which leads to resurrection glory, or suffering alone, which leads to bitterness and misery. Like Peter, we tell the Lord, no way. The path to understanding the glory we've been given certainly cannot lead through suffering and death. And then we hear the Lord say, get thee behind me. Some of you are suffering with anxiety and with depression. Some with sickness, even chronic sickness. Some perhaps all with bouts of loneliness. Some of you are mourning the loss of a loved one, whether through rejection or divorce or death. Or perhaps the suffering involves an addiction, your own or another's, through which you have had to swallow the bitter fruit of separation from those you love. You did your best. You loved them poorly. And now they have turned their back on you and become distant and angry. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. That advice is from Peter, the same Peter, whom Jesus rebuked for telling him he must not submit to suffering and death. My friends, suffering is a human inevitability, but the acceptance of suffering is a choice. Saying yes to Jesus' invitation to climb the steep a mountain of awareness of his glory is to drink the cup, to take the cross of suffering that we've been given. I am not making this up. This is what the ministry of surpassing glory, the new covenant, says about this call to suffering. We always carry about in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. And rejoice that you share the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed at the revelation of his glory. And now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. That statement is difficult. In fact, it's overwhelming. Could it mean what it says, that the one among us who suffers physically or mentally is suffering with Christ for our salvation? If that's the case, when we meet someone 
among us who suffers, we should put our arms around them and say thank you. Recently, I visited a family member who has suffered from early onset progressively debilitating Parkinson's disease for about 10 years. During our visit, she said this to us in a very weak voice. I used to be angry about my illness. I felt frustrated and upset all the time that neither I nor the doctors nor anyone else could make it go away. I used to watch movies to distract myself. Now I only want to pray. I prayed for my mentally impaired brother. And after 25 years locked up in his room, he is now free from the disease and free from his room. I prayed for my daughter that she would know Jesus and now she is telling me she wants to be baptized. God just wants me to be with him and to pray all day. Here's another example. Two years ago, my sister lost her husband, Pat. And as the anniversary of his death approached recently, she told me this. Actually, she wrote it to me. I miss Pat much more this year than last like some numbness is wearing off. Trauma will either drive you closer to God or farther, and I am much closer than I've ever been by sheer necessity because the alternative is too dark. I can see how much I indulged myself in the comfort and happiness of this relationship and how even as I thought I was seeking to know God, I did not have the drive that I do now. Now, everything is on the line. I dare not look away. If we could believe it, our sufferings are the most reliable spiritual director. They are the very conduit of the love of God to us. They are angels of grace that cause us to enter silence, humble ourselves, and turn to God for his comfort and love. Let's accept the invitation and take the hand of the Lord as he leads us up the Mount of Transfiguration on which we are transfigured with Christ. Hold on to God's promise. Soon he will stop on a grassy plateau and turn to you. Seeing his face beaming with love for you, you will fall to the ground just as Peter, James, and John did. Like Peter, we want to capture the moment and enshrine it. We forget that Christ is constantly making all things new. We only need to turn and look at the glorified Christ who is always with us. You and I exist to experience the glory of God in the unity of the Trinity. That is why we were born. That is why we must let ourselves be loved by the Father, just as Jesus let himself be loved by the Father. It is only in knowing this love that we can share it with others. We love well when we realize how well we are loved. Then we hear the exhortation of the psalmist, Exalt the Lord our God. 
and worship him on his holy mountain. And it comes to us. The name. The name of the nameless mountain of transfiguration. It's not Tabor. It's not Hermon. It's Calvary. Calvary. 